Good morning. My name is Alicia Bianame. We're going to be reading from Titus um, 1 and 10 and chapters 2 and 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the credence of prophets of their own said, Credence are always liars, evil beasts, label, e- evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled, and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound and doctrine. May God bless the readers and doers of his word. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, welcome. We had a little, um, you know, detour this morning, but looks like y'all found it, or it found you, one of one, the two. Um, you know, I was getting out the shower, and I had that, that ring on my phone that, that means Derek Crawford, executive pastor, is calling, right? Um, it's like the Batman red phone. I'm like, oh, Lord. If, if there, whenever there's a ring, um, for those who have been in pastoral ministry or even school, right, if there's that ring early in the morning, I'm like, oh, Lord, what is it? Like, I already start praying, right? And I answer the phone, and he's like, first thing, we not, might not be able to have church this morning. What? Like, um, there's been a wreck, and there's a telephone pole. Where did it hit? Right in front of the church. I was like, great. You know, because in my mind, I'm thinking we can go around it, step over the live wire, whatever. You know. <laughs> Jesus will protect you. No, um, so I'm glad everything worked out. We're here um, so far um, this morning. And... Um, we had a great event this weekend I want to let you know about. Um, we had the, there is a fellowship um, in our denomination called the African American Presbyterian uh, Fellowship, and it's a group that gathers together and, and creates connectionalism between, Af- uh, between African American leadership and future leadership and interns and seminary students. And um, one thing they want to do is kind of create more regional relationships. And so we had that event this weekend in conjunction with West Charlotte. And um, I just thank God for Charles McKnight, the pastor at West Charlotte. Y'all know Charles. And then, of course, my wife, Kelly, who pulled most of this together. Um, And Pastor Amari, we all played a role in it. But I want to recognize a couple of the people who came as a result. We have uh, Reverend Aaron and Fabian Anderson. Where y'all at? Okay, uh, Fabian is with the kids. One of the five, okay. Four, oh. Four? Okay, I'm prophesying, bro, I'm sorry. You don't know what's going on. I'm sorry, you ne- you're a young man, you never know. So, um, yeah, he came and he is, okay, this is another con- interesting connection here. Uh, he is, uh, what, what would you, you're the pastor of what? Uh, what, what do you do there? Shepherd, preach, do everything. Okay, so 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is one of the pastors at Christ Central Church, Durham, all right? And, uh, and uh, what, what's interesting about that is the pastor who planted that church, uh, Daniel Mason, he visited Christ Central when we were still in the neighborhood theater. He gave me a call, said, man, we really like what y'all are about. Can we name our church Christ Central as well? And I was like, no way. No, I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, we kind of have a connection. So every, if you ever go to Durham in the Raleigh-Durham area, I definitely recommend that church to you. Um, and then we have Evan and Katrina Marbury. Why don't y'all stand up, please? Um, uh, what's interesting about the Marberries, and I'm just saying interesting in a selfish way, uh, Evan is a Covenant Seminary graduate. I am too. You get it? You get it? Okay. Um, y'all, y'all, it, it didn't work. Sorry, y'all. But uh, we have, and they, uh, you run a pregnancy center there? Okay. And uh, what do you do at the pregnancy center? I'm sorry, I'm doing this right now. What, what is it? Executive director of the pregnancy center. And you help, uh, what, uh, women who have unwanted pregnancies or oh, unplanned. Thank you. Unplanned. <laughs> Is, are we recording? Um, <laughs> unplanned pregnancies, uh, we appreciate you guys for coming. And, and they are also at Christ Central Church, Durham. Um, and then we had one surprise this morning, and, that, and that, when I walked in, it was, uh, I saw Reverend Matt Lorish and his wife Kelly. Why don't y'all stand up? This is what we do at Christ Central when you visiting over there. And um, get, what's the name of you guys' church one more time? Northside Church of Richmond. Northside Church of Richmond. And they have a similar uh, vision and mission um, like Christ Central's. And so um, if you're in Richmond, uh, Matt and, and Kelly are doing an incredible work there in the city. And uh, Kelly and I, my wife and I, not that Kelly, but my wife Kelly and I had an opportunity to lead their church retreat, and, um, and that was a good connection between us, and we appreciate you coming and stopping in today. Good to see you. All right. Um, so the, the, I guess, you know, it's sort of what they do like in the black church situation where you just pass the hip, pass the this, got to stand up. You got to say your little speech. Everyone usually says a little mini sermon, but I'm glad y'all guys, you guys did that. Um, but uh, just so you know, we are going to continue in our sermon series through the book of Titus. And, uh, and I'm going to be here uh, for the next four weeks and try to get us through this book. But this book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, an apostle, as you remember in the first uh, sermon we did, is someone specially authorized by God, having been personally commissioned, if you will, by Jesus himself to establish the foundations of Christian belief and the church. Okay? This letter written to Titus, Paul's let's call him son in the ministry, was instruction from God on how to be and establish a healthy community of believers and church. And after being on what was literally an island, right, both really and metaphorically, the believers in Crete were distant from the theological truths of the mainland, church and church leaders. 
As a result, all kinds of dysfunction and abuses and spiritual misunderstandings began to infiltrate their faith, their belief systems, their communities. Not too differently, right, from our churches and spiritual climate today. Even in a churchy city like Charlotte, there is a lot of confusion about what to believe and who to believe and what being a church or, or whether to even be a church with all the scandals and craziness and sufferings and pains that go on. This is home of PTL, right? I don't have to tell charlatans how religion can become deformed. And you know who your number one false teacher is, though? Because I don't want to leave you out, right? You. <laughs> Struggling on your own to make sense of your faith. So when I refer to false teachers and teachings, it means me and you too on our own sometimes, right? So I understand why some of you are skeptical and wary and kind of doing your own thing when it comes to your spiritual life. Early in this chapter from the last sermon, we were given some hope, though, in the fact that God has given and supplied spiritual leaders, elders in the faith that are called to care for us, to know us, and to protect us in this wild spiritual climate. With this in mind, Paul says this about the spiritual caregivers that Titus should appoint to lead the churches, uh, churches uh, and in, in Crete. In verse 9, it says this when it talks about an elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. I don't know if it's in your bulletins. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He is saying we need God's gift of spiritual care and caregivers in our lives to guard and lead us to healing from what amounts to spiritual malpractice going on around us. First, first, because we can be turned and led away from the truth. Secondly, because we can be taken advantage of. And finally, because we can lose hope in the gospel. In verse 10, Paul uses the words insubordinate and then empty talkers to describe the teachers that were misleading in their teaching, that were, was misleading the believers in Crete. And then in verse 14, it says that they, these teachers, were devoted to what? Myths and commands of men. And by saying that in the context of this apostolic letter where he tells Titus to teach sound doctrine, the Bible is telling us that these teachers, those being accused of spiritual malpractice, have moved and are moving people away from what God has said into what they want to say. Away from what the Apostle Paul, and who, who was authorized to speak and write God's word to God's people, away from that to their own theories and to myths, to whatever was commercial and popular and marketable as teachings of the day. And in doing so, teaching what ends up contradicting the truth and doctrine found 
in the scripture, in the Bible, in what the apostles and Jesus laid down as the foundation. Now, I know these days, alternative health and medical stuff is very popular, right? You know, there's got to be a way to beat the evil pharmaceutical companies. There's got to be a way, be a way to, to, to go outside of your, you know, primary care physician, right? Who, who seem to be, you know, may, maybe they're in cahoots with the dark empire of managed healthcare industry and the FDA. I've, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. Man, it's popular all over the net. You need to try this. You got this growing in your backyard? Put that on your arm, right? Don't trust your doctor. You know, look at all those nice gifts the pharmaceutical people are bringing them, right? And, and now I'm looking for it. And I see these folks from the pharmaceutical companies coming in with all these snacks for the doctors and the nurses. I'm thinking, dang, I would trust it too if I got that spread, right? <laughs> and that not-by-the-book approach to health might be good and neat for many of you. But when it comes to a healthy spiritual life, to a right relationship with God, this world, yourself, and each other, there is no spiritual healthy alternative and not by this book approach that does not and will not eventually lead to spiritual malpractice and abuse and lead you and me away from God's truth for us. But here's where it gets complicated. Look at what it says here in verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He says these teachers, these people giving you spiritual advice, are deceivers. And their teaching is deceptive. And then in verse 14, which we're going to read, that, that, they, that these teachers are devoted to Jewish myths. Understand, these teachers are not your ordinary barbershop orators, right? I went in the barbershop the other day. I mean, everybody's an expert on everything. <laughs> especially, I mean, especially sports. You know, the reason Golden State lost, blah, 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 blah. And what they should do is trade. You man, please, keep cutting the hair. That's what you're good at. Sometimes. <laughs> My line was a little crooked the last time. Maybe if you weren't talking about the, 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 the politics and, and what's going on and what's going on in society, you would have gotten the line straight. But these are not just empty talkers as he describes them. Uh, like, like those folk on social media, blah, 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 don't know what they're talking about, getting into all kinds of discussions. No, these are people most likely, as we see them described here, well-versed in Old Testament Bible, who are being deceptive. The word deceiver here implies more than just making some innocent mistakes. Or, 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 you know, sort of, oh, I left out an and or an or or a period and I read it wrong. This implies that these spiritual leaders have formulated teachings that will exploit you 
right? Designed to trick you. This is more than alternative medicine, right? For, for the soul, this is witchcraft. It, th this is purposely in, including and leaving out and adding things here and there to make you hungry for more of what they are selling. Hungry for the same teachings that are bad for your spiritual health. Before we make it about them, though, remember we got to keep coming back to this. Because some of y'all have practiced some WebMD, Wikipedia, Google search theology for yourself. You know, I've talked about this a number of times. You've done a YouTube search on, on your spiritual life. And you wonder why things so jacked up right now. Right? Because you have formulated, right? You, you, you pulled something together. You took a little piece of this. Man, I really like this verse. That makes me feel good today. That's my theology for the week. Right? So we need spiritual caregivers like elders and and those relationships in the church beyond just relationships with your elders, but we'll look at those more next week, like what the relationship in this community does to protect us in these ways. Because we will and can be taken advantage of for personal gain and glory and because we're so broken. Look at verse 11 through 14. I'm read this again, if I can read the page. They, these teachers, must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, right? Evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Paul is calling these spiritual deceivers the real beast on Crete. Did a little study on, on the island of Crete in this verse. Crete is one of these places that doesn't have wild animals, right? No bears and tigers, oh my, did I say it right? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, they, they don't have that, okay? It, it, it's pretty barren of wildlife. So what he's saying is, there is wildlife on Crete. There are wild beasts on Crete. There are those who are just, you know, and when he talks about self-control and all this kind of stuff in here, he's saying in, a, in gluttons, do you know, so, have any of you had a greedy dog, right? They eat until they throw up or something, or you can't give them, you can't fill the whole bowl up. Or else they'll get diarrhea or something. Always, oh, I hated those kind of dogs. And I had many dogs. Right? You've seen a dog eat. You're like, good Lord, you ate yesterday. <laughs> and don't drop a piece of chicken on the ground. And dogs, like I had a dog get something stuck in their throat just out of greed. Didn't even look at it. Paul is saying these teachers are like that when it comes to your soul. They're careless. They're careless with what the Word of God says. Just like your animal is with a chicken bone on the ground. Right? Uh, he, who, 
they're looking to devour them, Paul is saying, in God's truth and take advantage of their weakness and their desperation, their need for a savior, their sufferings, their desire for rest and knowledge and community. And the reason your dog eats that is because somewhere deep inside their behavior sensors, they think this might be my last meal, even though you fed them every day. They're animals, right? An animal thinks I better eat now. So they're taking that same kind of hunger within us and they are exploiting it, right? They're exploiting your desire for rest and knowledge and community and possibly a better life from the sinful broken one that we all feel. And in a place like Crete, Crete, sorry, just like our markets in our country, exploitation of someone's needs is more important than being completely truthful. In fact, that's why they said Cretes are all liars, right? In fact, there was a term back then called, hey man, uh, you've been Cretized. That means lied to. So they even took the name of the, of, the, of, the, of the island and made it synonymous with lying. And then the Cretans kind of liked that identification. Yep, don't get taken because we're going to take you. Right? They, they loved that about themselves. But isn't it true today? Right? Where, where being successful is more of a value than being honest. Where the responsibility, hear this, to not being taken advantage of is on you, not the seller. Right? What, what, what is it today? Buyer beware. Not seller be silenced. And so guess what? That same thinking, Paul is saying, has creeped into spiritual advice, has creeped into the church. I'm going to do, you know, I like the Cam Newton theology. I'm going to do me. You do you. And if it goes wrong, too bad. I'm getting paid, right? And and this is what's actually, that's like the, the philosophy behind a lot of spiritual outlets, I call them, or churches. Come and get what you want. If you don't like it, I don't care. As long as I get mine and you get yours. See, that's the other half of it. Some of us, all of us, have been taken advantage of spiritually and economically and physically and socially by those who are doing spiritual work, church work, religious work, for personal gain. It's hard out here in this world. I admit it, I'm one of you. Even though I'm up here for a couple hours on Sunday. Well, not that long today, hopefully. And we have been trusting, right? We're trusting. Sometimes, you know, I describe that as a part of your humanity, right? To kind of stay completely human and not turn to a dog who's guarding their food and looking at you with a growl. Sometimes you, to be human, you have to be trusting and spiritually thirsty, And these false teachers and short of biblical teachings and and behaviors, self-serving and self-serving agendas come to eat and feed on that trust. And the bait is this. The bait is to create a gospel. A gospel. Not the gospel. A gospel. 
that is attractive in dealing with your surface needs and your self-centered needs. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try not to get to the self-centered one, then I'll be pastoring y'all and y'all get mad. Because they all the teacher's fault. You know why teachers are getting rich? Like he's talking about? Because you want it. Right? Now, there, there's a responsibility I have. Like, we joke sometimes, right? Sometimes Amari and I, I think me and Amari and Josh are joking the other day. Man, we could have a huge church if we just give them what they want. Let's not preach this this week. Let's, let's just find some scriptures. I was, I was at Amari's house just the other night. You have the Word channel. It's like the preaching channel. I love, I used to watch the preaching channel all the time. I keep that thing on for three hours of time, just watching preach, people preaching in their basement, right? In a room with the sheet behind them, anything, public access. <laughs> I'm serious. Because I love preaching. Yo, I just listen, all right. And I just get a little bit, kind of eat the meat and throw away the bone, a lot of bones. Right? And I've turned on the preacher channel, and the first thing this woman preaches is this. She says, I got a word for God for you. He spoke to me just for you. Not the word has this for you. I got something from God for you. Right? And it was real interesting to me because I was like, man, that will sell. I do, let me, let me just go and say, as the pastor, as a pastor, I want to let you know, I do have a word for you, God's word for you, right? But the other stuff is better, <laughs> right? Surface-wise, it's better because, hey, look, I know what you want, right? I want stuff. I want to be popular. I want to be acceptable. I want to be, you know, looking good. I can, there are scriptures in the Bible. I can pick out. Right? Evan can too, because we went to Covenant Seminary. We good. <laughs> we can pick out, and people are like, why do y'all read so much scripture? Uh, um, you know, how, why do y'all read the whole thing, Right? Because we can pick it out, y'all. If I were just to preach one scripture every week, okay, let's just pick this one verse, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you what God is saying. I call that trampoline theology, right? One jump all the way up, right? <laughs> if you've got somebody giving you trampoline theology, just do one jump, whoa, up, and you're up for like 30 minutes and then come back down, something ain't right. Nothing tastes, right, is craved and sells better and seems more affordable than simple carbohydrates, right? <laughs> the largest part of the grocery store right in the middle that you got to go through to get to the, to the living stuff or the once living stuff, right? All that processed, high-calorie, low-nutrition stuff, right? That salty and sugar and fluffy, buttery donut that makes you feel full in your immediate hunger. I went to this donut place in South End. They had the bacon maple donut eclair. 
was one thing to just have the sugar on there, but it's unfair to put bacon on there. I mean, it's a meal. You seen the QT, the new signs? It's a snackle, right? Is it a snack? Is it a meal? Yes is the answer, right? A snackle. But it makes you full in your, um, I am getting somewhere theologically, it makes you full in your immediate hunger, but can, without moderation and monitoring, rot and poison your body in the long run. It's superficial nutrition. That's what the Cretes were known for. It fakes you into feeling like you're good, you're full. I'm real hungry. Boy, one of them donuts can make me feel full for a while. And you are nourished when, as Paul describes, these unbiblical teachings, as he says in verse 10, are empty calories that in the long run are not harmless. Paul is saying these teachers and their theologies like processed food, right? It is superficial gospel for your soul as it seeks and is marketed to deal with your immediate symptoms and feelings of superficial, feel-good changes to do nothing to truly change the core issues. Core issues require transformation, not inspiration. Most of us just inspired. Man, I get inspired all the time. I'm still 20 pounds up, right? Man, I watch Rocky the next day. I'm sorry, the next hour. All right, next five minutes. Right? I'm inspired but I ain't changed. Look at verse 10 again. For these are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. It says empty talk, meaning nothing on the inside, just blah, 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 sounding smart, sugar-coated, bacon on top. And then it says the circumcision group. The circumcision group were a religious group who wanted people to truly be, believe, be believers by following the Jewish law and all of the religious rules and regulations and customs. But Paul took circumcision to another level. Circumcision, which is a cutting away of the foreskin of Jewish boys eight days old, according to Old Testament law, was an outward religious act that Paul then used to describe these contradictory teachers and teachings because they pushed what? Outward changes and dealing with surface issues more than going below the skin, below the surface. They want to give you something to heal a symptom, but they don't have what really can do surgery for your soul. They emphasize cosmetic righteousness, cosmetic changes, immediate and shallow relief, easy to cash out and in faith, right? Swipe, here's my soul, swipe, thank you, right? Instead of a cash app, it's sort of like a soul app, right? Just whoop, thank you. And that keeps you coming back for more righteousness instead of having and being declared righteousness because of what has already been done for you. Let me jump here. By cosmetic and superficial gospel, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, teaching and ministering as if the gospel is about stuff like making you rich. And prosperous. Here's a hard one. 
or healthy or happy or belonging. I've got to find a perfect community for me. It's not the gospel. It's a very imperfect community. So if you come, just a little aside, if you come to a church and you're like, it's just so much. I thought it was going to be perfect. I thought it was going to fit in so perfectly. Why would you think that when you're imperfect? Maybe everybody else is perfect and you're the imperfect one. No, everybody's imperfect. So let me tell you what gospel community feels like. A bunch of prickly pine cones together. We're just a bunch of porcupines that Jesus is slowly beginning to, you know, smooth away the edges. That wasn't in there, but that was free. You know, it should make you happy or, or, or maybe it should make you someone who does all the good and right things or about you and your destiny and achieving your dreams and fixing your problems. Sound familiar? It should not because of what we see on the TV, but because we all hunger for those things. We don't even have to listen to some television evangelist to get that. We tell ourselves that. And then someone comes along and says, amen, brother and sister, you are right. Have you ever heard the term have you ever heard the term moralistic, therapeutic deism? I like to say that because it makes me seem smart. But here's a cursory definition of what it means. Christian Smith and his fellow researchers, I, I copied this off one of these things, with the National Study of Youth and Religion at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I thought I was going to get some chairs for y'all. Okay, but took a close look. <laughs> I'm in the South. You know, as soon as you say a name, ah, okay. Uh, took a close look at the religious beliefs held by American teenagers. They found that the faith held and described by most adolescents, now adults since this article was written, came down to something the researchers identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. As described by Smith and his team, it consists of beliefs like these. A God, a God, not the God, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And there are some good sounding things here, but it is short of the truth. Let me say this. It is not enough to be healthy for your soul. And it's devoid of the truth of the gospel. But this kind of teaching and thinking is, hear me, more prevalent and tempting to preach than not. And what so much of modern-day gospel and Christianity is built around, what everyone wants to hear and forces pastors, I'm tempted to. 
and you and spiritual leaders to make myths out of the message and story and history of the Bible to make you happy and feel good and make you think God is coming just to deal with your issue because you want him to at the time you want and in the way you want. Like he's not God, he's just your little taskmaster. Man, if I preach like that kind of stuff, I mean, people come back wanting more. As a matter of fact, when it says Jewish myths, Jewish myths in verse 14, it was referring to the practice of turning the stories. Now, you've seen this happen. So here's this book written a long time ago, and it goes on today, right? The Jewish myths means taking stories of people in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, Noah, Moses, Abraham, and all of them, you know, all those folk, David and Goliath, in making them human stories, <laughs> moral stories, y'all, how this person, by doing all the right things, won and controlled and got God's favor or overcame their world and issues. And in doing so, they per, 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 thank you, perpetrated, thank you, the popular lie that you can make faith work for you. Just follow these cosmetic steps, right? Do these outward things. Pray harder. Be more religious. Be like Moses. Be like David. Be like Noah. They kind of make the guys in the Bible like, like the, the, the modern-day Marvel comic hero series, right? You're just inspired and you're ready to do it. Be like mythology was and is still a myth. If you're looking at the Bible thinking, I need to be like Noah. You don't want to be like Noah. Be better. If anything, be better. I want to be like Moses. Really? He did some great things, but he said some serious problems. He was mad at God and the people. And he completely disobeyed God and God said, you can't go to the promised land. Did y'all know Moses never really, never crossed over? That dude got disciplined by God. He, got, he couldn't go, right? You, you, you want to be like these people? Abraham. All right, I want to be like Abraham. It's the Jewish myth that being like him means you good, right? Dude lied to people along the way because his wife looked too good and he was afraid someone's going to steal his wife even though God promised that the promise would come through him and his wife. That ain't my wife. Can I have her? Yeah. Because I'm afraid for my life. You want to be that? Don't try that. It's a myth. It was not the truth of why those people and their stories were in the Bible. It made Christianity more like a Greek drama or play or performance or, or some the hero drama where you're the hero. And that's, that's what's wrong. Christianity has come along and said, you know what? We're going to give you a cape. We're going to give you superpowers. So you can power through and win and be victorious and reach your destiny. Run from that if you hear that. Don't put that suit on. Look at what verse 11 says. I'm going to try to move along. They must be silenced. These teachers and this teaching, since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. I interpret households and whole families as house churches. That means whole churches. <laughs> whole church movements. Whole denominations now 
have been sickened and upset by this kind of thinking. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Is your faith, your belief, your way of life only as good as humanly possible and humanly provided by you or somebody else? Think about it. It's only humanly possible. Did they tell you, whoever you're listening to, that it is up to you? And it is about having enough faith or doing all the right things and not doing all the bad things and being good enough or committed to them? Like the wild beasts, as Paul describes, these false teachers and teaching, do you fear them? Do you fear failing them? And, and looking good for them or others more so than you do before God? Do you always live in fear that you will not live up to the standards of the, the, the religion you're about? Or that now it's, it's a burden to, to you and, and, and makes you want to leave the faith because it's too scary to be a believer? Because as soon as you fail, it's over. As soon as you don't have faith in us, it's done. God's finished with you. Will, will your own faith tear you apart and eat you if you fail it? Some of y'all are living in a scary faith. Where as soon as you mess up or something goes wrong, oh no, God's turned his back on me. Who told you that? Who taught you to be afraid of the Lord in that way? Or afraid of your failure in that way? You came as a failure. He's going to keep you as a failure because he loves you. Do you live believing what you do is most important in being acceptable to God? I ask you these questions because living like that will take the life out of your relationship with God. Look at verse 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul is saying this, it is not what you do that makes you right before God. Surface change, behavior change does not make you spiritually healthy and right. In fact, before God, living as a moralistic, therapeutic deist, seeking to get ours and design our own spiritual high and arrange community around ourselves or our twisted view of spiritual community, chasing our own personal destiny and desires, using all the good field Bible verses with God as your co-pilot, Mez, all about my doing and being good and accepted because I follow the rules, Paul goes all in on us and says, it makes us detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. Isn't that ironic that the theology following us says, be good, be like Moses, be like Noah, do all the good things, be holy on your own, is the stuff that God detests. Paul is saying these teachers and their followers and those affected by spiritual malpractice put you at odds with the gospel and Christianity. And hear this, turn the corner here. And church itself starts to feel like your enemy. You ever got to the point where you think all organized religion is wrong? 
where church is the problem? How many people you hear church is the problem? Organized religion is the problem. I can just be spiritual on my own. Where being a committed believer seems to and starts to be exhausting and emptying. You know, a new term we had, probably developed about 20 years ago, de-churched. Not just unchurched people, de-churched people. People who were in the church to say, I'm not going back. The church is the problem. All that Bible and preaching stuff is the problem. Half of the people leave or refuse to be a part of the church and the faith because something not true, something self-serving has abused and spiritually injured them or something they promised themselves or promised by someone else that God has not promised, has not come through, and it leaves them lost and hollowed and disillusioned because you were led to believe God was like this and following him was like this and it was a half-truth and a myth. Here is where your need for what Paul has in the way of spiritual caregivers and what we will see in the next chapter next week in the way of spiritual family, because we all have been there or will feel the effects of some kind of bad theology or doctrine in our lives. I still struggle with it. We all will continue to struggle with it. I read stuff and I hear stuff and I'm like, man, please, I wish this was true. See, this letter and instruction to Titus is not about how doomed we are and being victims, and even victimizers of spiritual malpractice, but about how God intends to save us and keep us in the middle of it. Look at verse 9. He must, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction to sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Rebuke in silence. At first, these words look mean. A lot of people don't like to come to church because we mean, right? But look again. Rebuke means something needs some critical care now. Something needs correction that can hurt somebody. But, but more than that, it means to convince, to reprove, to prove again, to bring back, to call out to. Hello, come back. Rebuke is not about having a mean and judgmental attitude, but to immediately fix and address what is spiritually dragging you down and out and in the way. He says in 13, rebuke is designed to make people sound. Sound is a medical term. It means healed. You know, I, I'm good in, in good health. And that means for leaders in God's church, having a heart to see people freed and healed from all the terrors and heartache and spiritual abuse and damage that comes from self-serving, unbiblical kind of ministry and belief systems common our world is the thing we should be about. When it says silence in verse 11, as an elder myself, as a child of God in need of oversight myself, you know what I hear? Hush. Hush. As in be still. As in rest. As in fall down and fall in with your pain and hurt and exhaustion. Elders are here. The word of God given by God is here. The Lord is here to silence the lies, to hush your pain, 
to quiet the noise and terrible lies being shouted in you and at you, and then to quiet you with the message of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of sinners, and everything else be rebuked and silenced. Like the song we sang said, there is power in the name of Jesus and none else, not even your own name. Bring your life. Bring the scars of abuse. Come into community. God is promising to not allow. In this passage, it's incredible. Through the ministry of the church, through what goes on in the preaching, and through the word, he is saying the world will not overcome and overwhelm the people I've called to be mine. I've sent help. Sent relief. And you don't have to do it. Faith is not by works. I mean, salvation is not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Come, ye sinners. Come, ye broken. See what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many of us have just decided to do our own spirituality. Made a mess of it. Many of us have been messed over. And now the gospel feels like a foreign voice. And we've become aliens to Christian community, to the church. We, we see it as an enemy. And Lord, ultimately, sometimes we can see you as the enemy. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that you would heal those who've been through so much mixed up and confusing things when it comes down to their spiritual life, to their relationship with you and each other. I pray that once again, you would not lose them, but as promised, you would keep us and sanctify us and grow us. I pray for those who need a church, a church that preaches the word, I pray, Lord, among the many churches in Charlotte or wherever they're from, that you would help lead them to a place where there's Christian community and biblical doctrine where the gospel is central. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.